question, and I mean, from our perspective, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's and it's mainly from our perspective, it's just uh, the the reason why you couldn't design this way is because nonlinear control was just not feasible. In uh, uh, for you just couldn't do high dimensional control like a few years back. Uh, it's it's only possible kind of like almost twenty twenty one onward. I say twenty twenty two onward, uh, where high dimensional control started to become feasible. Um, so if you actually look back at the Shadow Robot Company from um, you know some some years ago, uh, maybe almost a decade ago now, because I think it's like they're like twenty years old. Um, they they had a, a muscle actuated hand briefly. Um, but the thing is just that you can't, you couldn't control it. If you wanted to teleoperate a robot back then because you couldn't do autonomous operation, like neural networks were, were nowhere near good enough. Um, uh, if so, so you, you were not, you, you're not doing autonomous operation. There's just, you couldn't do it because neural networks were good enough. So you, you had to teleoperate. And if you want to teleoperate, uh, it just, it's so much easier to, um, you know, control some linear motors than it is to control these like nonlinear muscles. And, uh, and that was kind of literally the problem. So. The, the thing is, we just like had this, Rukash had this certainty even without kind of knowing where it was going to go. It's just kind of knowing, hey, AI is going to get better and better. Uh, and so it should be fine. Um, and, and sort of I jumped in as I, as I kind of knew, like, hey, AI is good enough now. We can, uh, we can train very, very large, you know, like world models that can, uh, you know, learn all kinds of rich information about, about reality um, that will actually let us control these very high dimensional systems. So yeah, I'd say that now that that's possible, you should think about rethink how you're doing your hardware. You're not constrained the same way you used to be, um, and and we, and so that's why from day one in this company we don't operate on any of those constraints. I'm a physicist, uh, math guy, machine learning guy, um, entrepreneur. Um, yeah, I'd say entrepreneur and scientist for sure. Um, I've been building things since I was very young. Uh, I built an ion thruster when high school. I was publishing research in plasma physics uh, in, in university. I started my first company when I was a senior in college, uh, building a reinforcement learning powered symptom checker, 335 symptoms, 655 diseases. Um, inquire and diagnose type deal. Um, ended up raising a couple million dollars for that company. Um, started uh, talking to Wukash uh, about a year later. This is after I'd gone through uh, uh, y, y Combinator Accelerator program. Um, and uh, and after kind of um, just shooting it with Wukash for a couple of years, I uh, decided to just give, up, give back all the money in stock uh, to my co-founder for my first company, and I just moved out to Poland and started working with Vukash uh, on on Cologne. How the story of Cologne started, it's very interesting. I would like to hear from you. The first thing that you thought about starting Cologne, can you tell us about the story, how it all started, the idea? Um, yeah, the prehistory of Cologne started um, almost nine years ago now. Um, it was in 2014. My co-founder, Vukash, had seen a picture of... of of an artificial muscles actuated leg in a textbook and uh, was very inspired to build his own Android after that and was relentlessly iterating over various classes of artificial muscles um, as well as um, making prototypes of hands, um, which he saw as the, um, 
the 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 hardest problem to kind of solve to make entire biomimetic androids. And uh, not only is the hardest problem, but also the most relevant problem to making these things useful. And um, and when uh, I I'd sort of taken notice of him and. My, my interest at the time, I was I was I was deep in machine learning at the time, and really wanted to uh, put a brain on this thing, productize it, actually take it to market, um, you know, scale up manufacturing, etc. And um, and and we we hit it off super fast. We just thought the exact same about uh, how we wanted these things to work. We really wanted to not compromise anywhere um, to set the vision as making these biomimetic super intelligent androids and. Just not, uh, just not settle for anything less than that, um, and and really just go as one to one with the human body as possible. So um, Wukash was leveraging principles of biomechanics that he was studying for years um, to uh, make these prototypes. And um, from my own research at looking at various classes of artificial muscles, uh, it was pretty clear that there was nothing really better than McKibben's. Uh, while I was looking for something that could be like an electric, purely electrically actuated fiber or something like that, um, there's nothing that really came close to um, the performance of um, like an actuator with a rubber tube essentially uh, surrounded by some kind of uh, fiber abraded sleeve. And, uh, and so this is just the basis of the actuator. And from there, you can actually take it very far, much farther than what people would, would imagine. And, uh, and I think the story of clone is really one of, uh, is, is a story where it, it's, it's just about the relentlessness of like making possible what other people do not think is possible in every dimension. What, I mean, everything we make is custom, custom bones, custom valves, custom muscles, uh, you know, custom sensing, like a custom pump motor, every, everything is just custom. And, uh, and it was done uh, with, with an, out of need, not, not because uh, you know, we wanted to do everything custom. Everything is just, we want biomimetic superintelligent androids. How do we get there? Um, well, we can't get muscles on the market. We bought Festo muscles. They wouldn't fit inside a hand at all. They're pneumatic, would require a bulky compressor. It's just not gonna work. Um, so what do you have to do? Well, we have to make your own muscles. And then you make the muscle, you realize, okay, there are issues with the, um, the fluidic actuator, so you have to make it better in many, in many dimensions. You have to improve the bottom chill. You have to improve the, the braided sleeve. Um, you have to improve the way that you manufacture it so it can be done very quickly and cheaply and can be scaled up. And then, of course, you have to extend the durability and solve for um, you know, the major modes of failure. So, uh, and that's just the muscle. So it's, the story of clone is one where it's, it's how do we get biomimetic androids? Well, you have to figure out every, you have to figure out like a million problems. And, uh, and, and kind of when we started the company, I was lucky enough to have a co-founder like Wukash who already has shown that relentlessness. And, uh, and it's really why we, we, we hit it off. We both just wanted it. Uh, we, we want it uh, that badly. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I know we don't have so much time for you, but I will go for the question because there's a lot of question from the audience. So the first one, uh, Josh asking you, would be great if you can talk about the idea that you don't want to hire a traditional control system, professional, and using your network for control. You wrote it in your Twitter. Can you explain this statement? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we're not dogmatic about anything. Again, like I said, it's, uh, it's, it's all in service of the vision. It just turns out to be that, um, uh, people who come from, you know, the world of motor actuated robots tend to not really understand like 
the the number the just like the countless ways in which you have to innovate your way out of problems to make androids the way we do uh and it's just it's there's just too much of a comfort almost uh in just like getting motors off the shelf getting batteries off the shelf making robots the way everyone else does um that that you uh that that on the hardware side at least you don't innovate your way out of these problems but also on the control side uh it turns out that like when you're making such a high dimensional uh system to begin with um it's just like it's so difficult to control classically uh the number of nonlinearities at the joint level the muscle level the tendon level uh they accumulate so quickly and it's just uh it's just silly to even attempt to uh classically control it and pretend like you could uh you know deliver a product to customers where the robots actually doing real work um and you're classically controlling it the whole time so if you know from day one that that's not really going to be tenable uh why even like why even like pretend like that that that's that's something you should do in the early days so we just kind of we're building with the assumptions like no and and this this helps you on the hardware side too because if you can make that assumption you can now start making uh like much much easier trade-offs on the hardware side where you can just say hey i don't care about these nonlinearities it doesn't matter at the end of the day because i'm going to be controlling it with the neural network so i can uh optimize my hardware design in in all these other dimensions that would that that make it that make the the hardware better in terms of you know power density uh, strength, speed, etc. Maybe you can explain what's advantageous about the design at Clone and also the noise aspect of the, when we hear the noise, how you decrease the noise also. Yeah, so one thing about the, the noise is, uh, we're, like I said, we're, we're using hydraulic muscles, not an air muscle. So this is incompressible flow. Um, you don't need to, uh, we don't need an air compressor. So this is, it, you, don't, you just don't need a noisy compressor in the first place. Um, and then the second thing is uh, a lot of the noise in there, in, I don't know if you go back through the history of our videos on YouTube, uh, I mean, Lukash was just working with whatever he had around him. So uh, a lot of the parts were just like really, you know, just not great parts uh, that were just, he was just being resourceful and using like washing valves out. He pulled valves out of a washing machine, you know, things like this. And it's just, uh, um, and, and, and obviously, you know, you use components like that and, you know, they're going to be, there's going to be noise. It's very steampunk and not exactly uh, optimized for a real product. But as we went about optimizing um, the design for a real product, um, you know, you can, you can get rid of the noise in the valve. You can get rid of the noise in the, uh, in the in the pump and motor, and um, you know this is even without any acoustic insulation. So you can imagine, like with acoustic insulation, um, its noise goes to virtually zero. I mean, like in the most recent videos of the hand, the uh, the noise that you can still hear in the videos is squeakiness in the servo valves, and um, yeah, we're not using those anymore. So uh, um, so the, so yeah, our new valves are completely silent. Interesting. Okay, I would just like to ask you about what's still challenging for you I, in, in Clone. What, what's thing that you still try to push the bar of the design? Because it's it's really impressive, but we still I'm curious what's still challenging for you guys. Yeah, so often, yeah, oftentimes when you um, when you solve one problem, sometimes it creates other problems. So, um, so this is like kind of been the um, the toughest part with getting there, but. But it turns out that, like, you know, if you do that enough times, uh, you know, sure, you learn, like, 50 ways to not make androids, but you do find a way, actually. So I think what's left for us is actually just um, uh, compactifying our energy supply 
but this is not something that like we haven't thought of. We've been thinking about energy from day one. So it's, it's not like we don't have ideas, we don't have solutions. We have plenty of solutions. Um, and, and the, the most, uh, I mean, the, the best solution we have is one where this is going to be a battery powered robot, um, an electrohydraulic robot um, that will have enough energy for the entire Android to run for um, your entire waking hours without, without needing a recharge. So this is this is absolutely the solution we're going for. We're not really interested in making an Android that's uh, going to run like Boston Dynamics Atlas for like an hour and uh, you know and then and then and then needing needing a recharge. Mm -hmm. I just want to there's a little question here about the power consumption. Maybe you can elaborate about the power consumption. I I, I assume you hear about Atlas, for example, they consume uh, maybe produce a lot of heat. But I'm curious about your design. Can you tell about power consumption here? Yeah, so um, there's like a few major differences. I mean, Atlas is the other well-known hydraulically actuated robot, but they use heavier piston cylinders. Um, they, uh, it's obviously a, a much bulkier robot. The weight's not distributed evenly. Um, there are a lot of ways in which they have to expend a lot more energy to control their robot. Um, and, um, and then, and then we do have a kind of an ace up our sleeve that I can't talk about here, but that's going to like multiply our, our energy density by, uh, by several times. Um, and, uh, and so we're not, um, yeah, we're not, we're not too concerned about, about the power supply here. The power consumption is just, it was, it was really annoying to get the power consumption down in, uh, in the valve, but it turned out that by switching the, the valve to our most recent valve, we brought down both power consumption and noise, uh, together and, this has been like kind of the the biggest breakthrough in the company yet. Um, was it has been the miniaturization. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about about the next steps. Uh, do you plan to design a leg also the same the same design and the arm or what is next steps for clone here that you think, yeah, could be uh, changing the situation of people that would need an, a prosthetic arm or leg. Do you also go into this direction or how, how it looks for you? Sure. So we are pursuing an Android first before we end up making prosthetics. So we're very firmly in the, uh, the robotics category right now as a company. Um, in terms of what's next, we are um, first focused on selling some hands uh, to research scientists who've been wanting them for some time now. Uh, the biggest uh, blocker to that most recently has been uh, just needing to finalize the valve so that when they purchase a hand, uh, they don't have to kind of redo a lot of the work they did when they purchased their second hand, which would use like a different valve or something. So it was a lot of these research scientists who, um, you know, you, I'm talking like world-class labs from industry and academia who want our hands, um, are have really been waiting on just a finalized design. And up until uh, 2023, um, uh, since we started the company, the focus was on durability, just getting the hand durable enough so that um, you can run it um, without any human interventions. You can, you know, you can run a um, a learning algorithm in the real world, um, and and just let let the let the hand just continue learning to solve some manipulation task um, without um, any human intervention. And and so that's the thing we got to um, by 2023. We're very happy about that. Makes it ready to be sold. Uh, but then that that the the final thing was just that researchers didn't want to have to deal with a hand that was going to change in design. Um, uh, very, very quickly, uh, iteration after iteration. So 
and we have been updating the hardware um, really fast. So we we are we are just about there where we're finalizing the, the valve design. And uh, like I said, it's miniaturized. It's uh, consuming very little power. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it fits in the vein, opening up the entire uh, torso volume for, for the energy supply. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about the actuation here, because I think what Cologne is doing here is very interesting. But do you have any plans to combine different actuation techniques? I, I actually find this interesting, the bar and the design. But when I see virtual robotics, for example, spoke by Boston Dynamics, I'm working with it. So sometimes it's very heavy to work with, and it's not ideal. But how do you see the design that you and the company you did could be deployed for legged robots or other form of um, well, we have in robots now, and do you think you should or shouldn't use hybrid actuation techniques? Um, we, there's, yeah, there's no need for for a hybrid actuation technique. Our, our design is actually really simple. Once you have the experience of of making it, you know, like a thousand times, which we have, uh, it's, it's pretty straightforward, and it does scale well to um, the entire musculoskeletal android. So, just kind of answer your previous question in, in, in full while answering this question, I'd say that, um, first of all, like ne the immediate next step is to sell hands to um, research scientist customers, right? Very, very soon after that, we'll be scaling up the musculoskeletal design to the torso and then the full biped. And, um, and, and, and this is not actually nearly as hard for us as people are going to think. Um, you know, it, it looks like, oh, wow, this is like super over-engineered hand. And then, you know, oh, it's going to take you another like, you know, 10 years to get to the end. It's like, no, uh, you have to just nail down bone design, you have nailed down muscle design, you nailed down valve design, and it scales up really nicely, actually. It's all the same manufacturing techniques to make the rest of the body. Um, so um, in terms of actuation, it's just you, you, you have a skeleton and then you put muscles on it. It's, uh, and, and this is also just like different from every other way. I mean, nobody makes robots like this. Everyone makes a rigid exoskeleton and then you stuff as many batteries and motors inside as you can. And that's just the way it's done. And everyone says that's how you have to make robots. And it's not how you have to make robots. You can just start with a human skeleton. You can just put your actuators over it and then wrap it up in skin. And uh, and voila, you have a you have an android. And that's the approach we're 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 going for. And and it scales really nicely, especially just once you finalize the actuator. You just have to you have to just have to commit to it and then uh, and say hey like it's it's good enough now. Uh, now we can scale up. Um, yeah, I was curious about the iteration of design. I'm curious about the process that sometimes the design just didn't go as you expected. And I'm just curious if you can share something that was counterintuitive to uh, and Lucas here that the design should work, but it didn't work in the early stages. Do you have any things that was counterintuitive to you guys that why this didn't work out? And maybe it was a learning lesson for you to come to what you have today. So not really because, uh, I mean, I think in the first few years, Lukash was working on this, he definitely had some, you know, like different, more, more diff different looking hand designs. But um, I mean, once he settled in on McKibben's and, um, and sort of the musculoskeletal just looking design, it was, um, it was it's very straightforward from there. It's not, uh, we don't really design. We just copy actually uh, human anatomy. We, like dissect humans, we in the in, in the dissection room, uh, we look at what's inside, and we uh, we look at the textbook, um, and we just copy it. Yeah. Interesting. So you go by it step by step. So it's not like bioinspiration here. It's just biomimetic exactly as a thing. No, 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 no. We we just 
we, we just like, yeah, exactly. We, we put the muscles in the same positions that they are in the human, yeah, and the tendons, yeah, everything, the, the bones. Okay, this is interesting. So maybe I'm, I don't know if you can answer this question when you look to other companies doing that. I mean, of course, you didn't do the exact same, but the way I think you design is a new approach here. And I think that's kind of realism in the design and it feels like a real hand. Um, do you have any kind of like, you think that uh, robotics industry should make more effort in the design? Like, as you said here, you won't build as exact, already, you already have the same exact structure and it feels re real here. But do you think other, it's in robotics, just maybe something missing you of that there's no much work invested in, in something similar to what you do? Okay, so it's a good question. And I mean, from our perspective, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, it's, and it's mainly from our perspective, it's just uh, the, the reason why you couldn't design this way is because nonlinear control was just not feasible in uh, uh, for, you just couldn't do high dimensional control like a few years back. Uh, it's, it's only possible kind of like almost 2021 onward, I'd say 2022 onward, uh, where high dimensional control started to become feasible. Um, so if you actually look back at the Shadow Robot Company from um, you know, some, some years ago, uh, maybe almost a decade ago now, because I think it's like, they're like 20 years old, um, they, they had a, a muscle actuated hand briefly. Um, but the thing is just like, you can't, you couldn't control it. If you wanted to teleoperate a robot back then, because you couldn't do autonomous operation, like neural networks were, were nowhere near good enough. Um, uh, if so, so you, you were not used, you're not doing autonomous operation. There's just, you couldn't do it because neural networks were good enough. So you, you had to teleoperate. And if you want to teleoperate, uh, it just, it's so much easier to, um, you know, control some linear motors than it is to control these like nonlinear muscles. And, uh, and that was kind of literally the problem. So the, the thing is, we just like had this, Rukash had this certainty even without kind of knowing where it was gonna go. It's just kind of knowing, hey, AI is gonna get better and better. Uh, and so it should be fine. Um, and, and sort of I jumped in as I, as I kind of knew, like, hey, AI is good enough now. We can, uh, we can train very, very large, you know, like world models that can, uh, you know, learn all kinds of rich information about, about reality. Um, that'll actually let us control these very high dimensional systems. So yeah, I, I'd say that now that that's possible, you should think about, rethink how you're doing your hardware. It, you're not constrained the same way you used to be. Um, and, and, we, and so that's why from day one in this company, we don't operate on any of those constraints. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Actually, a question from one of audience, the same thing, asking about your vision about remote teleoperation versus reinforcement learning versus autonomy in short and long term in the company. How do you see the teleoperation versus reinforcement learning for autonomy here? Right. Um, so I, I, it's not really just RL or, or, or teleoperation, but but RL is like a critical part, I think, of autonomous uh, operation here. Um, but yeah, teleoperation. Are, I mean, maybe this. If you ask, if you'd ask me, what's our biggest disadvantage of a company? It would definitely be that in the early days. Um, without neural networks, it is hard to control this thing and hard to like put out demonstrations. So it's kind of why it took us, despite having great hardware for so long, to put out like a single manipulation demonstration. It's because we just didn't have, um, like even, I mean, even I, the, even the types of learning problems I had solved in the past were so low dimensional compared to this problem. And the learning problems I had, I had solved in the past were not uh, actually being applied on hardware ever. Um, so it was just that we just didn't, uh, we didn't have that like, learning on a robot like experience on the team to to get that working in in this in these early days but 
Um, but we finally kind of put together a, a teleoperation demonstration with PID type control. Um, that, that's still pretty finicky to work with, but um, uh, yeah, it's, it's teleoperation is like, I, I think gonna be more short term than, than people realize. It's just not, it's just not fun to scale. Um, if you don't have like a really, really nice rig where um, it's, it's so, it's so fun. The fine control is like so good. You have haptic feedback. So you, um, so it's just, so it's a faster learning curve to use the teleoperation rig. Um, and, and for us to do haptic feedback, we'd have to make some kind of glove. And that's just, um, uh, that we'd just be spreading ourselves way too thin at that point. So for us, it's really going to be limited teleoperation, try to get some number of teleoperation play experience in VR. And with that, you know, augment the data as best as we can, you know, use some diffusion models to take like a single experience and then like change up the environment on that experience, you know, a thousand times over. Um, and then, you know, also, you know, you have the teleoperated experience. You can also do, um, you can, you can then run online RL on, on that teleoperated demonstration and kind of let the robot trial and error, that kind of same, uh, type of uh, short horizon task over and over until it's just getting more active online data, sensory motor data, of course, um, to, to solve that task. And, um, and, and at the end of the day, like the way this is going, if you can kind of see the trend on like the large, on the language side of things is to get really these robots working autonomously in the real world. You know, we're talking about something like, you know, billions of neurons that humans have, getting the analog of that. You know, it's, it's obviously a ton of data that's required um, a ton of experience and it's not just, you know, and so where the story of language of course has been, you know, deep learning, uh, stochastic gradient descent on large amounts of data. That's what works. And that's what lets you, uh, see the magical results you see in, on the, on the language side of things, uh, from deep learning. But of course you're working with the copious amounts of internet data. So I think in 2022, what was really nice, what changed was, um, people started to figure out, Hey, you can leverage like video data of human hands on the internet, the millions of hours of video data to um, start leveraging it toward motor control. And the way they were doing that was, was something like making large pre-trained visual representations and then you know, separating that from, uh, from like your low level control, um, control policies. Um, but I think going forward, that'll all be end to end where you were just pre-training entire behavior representations rather than visual representations. And, uh, but to do that, of course, you will need a ton of video data, of course, um, but you'll also need some sens sensory motor data. And, the video data you can get from the internet, um, you can get from the robot, like, you know, just standing there and watching you do stuff. Um, but, uh, but, but past that, you're still going to need some threshold amount of sensory motor data. The first part of that you have to get from teleoperation. So it's high quality. And after that, you can get it via trial and error. You can get it from, um, from data augmentations, um, which you can do in various ways these days. Yeah, j just a few questions. Um, since you mentioned that you really have the same exact design as you meant, I'm just asking about the material aspect here. Do you ever consider the designing material that could be as a sensor and activator and resemble the human muscles? Because we don't have that already. And also in Will Jackson interview, he said that if we have something resemble human artificial muscle, I mean, human muscle would be changing the, the design paradigm here. So I don't know if that's relevant to you in the, I don't know, in the future steps, like the, the material aspect that we can design something that resemble human muscle or that's not significant here yeah i wouldn't just i wouldn't uh just talk about it as just like material uh i mean there are certain parts of the body where you know that makes sense you can think about like ligaments being sort of elastomeric and it's that sort of if you can maybe make your uh robotic ligaments elastomeric as well maybe that 
that, that makes a lot of sense. But in terms of the muscle, it's more about the um, the contraction properties of the muscle that is that you're trying to replicate. Um, I, I heard Willie Jackson say something about about this, which was kind of inaccurate. Uh, but but um, yeah, human skeletal muscle. What you're trying to replicate is just this amazing contraction ratio for a very low energy input, and that, that's really what you're trying to get. And of course, the shape of it. Um, but the material itself is. Um, it, it's, I mean, it, it's more just about the property. If the material has a property where you can run a small current um, through some very, uh, you know, some magic material fiber or something, um, and then the fiber contracts 60%, that's just, that sounds like a magic material that would be great to replace our muscles with. Like, no, no, uh, no disagreement there. But, but it turns out, like, the muscles we're using are, are kind of, they, they gave you the best properties, the best contraction ratio, um, the best... Uh, um, the strength as a result of the contraction ratio, um, speed, it can actuate really fast, very fast response times, um, extremely low cost to make, um, follows the shape of skeletal muscle approximately, it's very linear. So it's more about like approximating all of these various properties as close as possible, rather than just saying like it feels um, like, like what a human muscle feels like. Um, that, that's not really what it's about, it's about kind of mimicking these properties. So I think the um, uh, in terms of like what Will said about not getting anywhere close to a human skeletal muscle, I thought I'd just maybe address that with, um, in, in the forearm at least, I think human muscles are contracting around 20 to 30% and ours do the same. Um, 30% um, with no load, um, over 30% with, no, with, with a one kilogram load. This is a, so, so this is like, this is, these are great, great muscles already, but, but so in some parts of the body, I think in the leg especially, um, your human skeletal muscle can contract up to up to sixty percent. I think. So, um, so there's there is some gap there for sure. But um, in terms of like all, any all intents and purposes, you will not notice it in our design. You will not be able to tell. Oh, this is like it's contracting like twenty percent less. It's not a skeletal muscle. It's, you will not be able to tell. It will it will, for all intents and purposes, um, appear as 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 musculoskeletal as you are. But um, one, one piece of good news is that um, if you could tell somehow, um, we actually do have one more improvement we can make on our muscle that can achieve uh, the human skeletal muscle. It's, it's the same type of muscle as what we'd make, but um, with, with um, a slight modification. And uh, it would be able to reach, I think, those you know, 50 to 60% um, contraction ratios that some parts of the body, uh, some, some, some muscle, muscle regions in the body uh, contract. So I want to ask you a few questions here. Um, if we speak about the, the, the design, have you ever thought if you embedded everything in the arm itself? We don't have to have the whole design of the fluid valve here. How do you, because you already, uh, I think you guys did an, an external shop here to scale it down, the, the design and everything. But do you think you can have the whole design in just the arm? You don't have to need an external device or anything. I don't know if you get what I mean, but just you didn't have to have the whole operation outside the arm. All the things incorporated inside the arm itself. Is it possible or not possible at all? Yeah. For a prosthetic. Yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, I... I, uh, I... Yeah, we, we don't know how to do that just yet. We can make it pretty compact, but we've been focused on making all the powering systems and everything compact enough to fit in the torso for an entire Android to operate for, you know, like um, a whole uh, working day, for example, without, without needing recharges and to do that wirelessly. 
Uh, that itself is pretty hard. Um, and, and so we're pursuing that with kind of full force and trying to solve the you know, millions of problems to, it's not millions of problems, but the many problems to, to make that work. And, uh, and so we're getting close to that. Um, I think uh, upon making that work, chances are um, some of the, the know-how I mentioned that we have that I couldn't talk about in too much detail, um, including like how we make this energy, energy dense enough to operate you know, for several times longer than, uh, than Atlas, for example. Um, I think some of those advances will be critical in making a prosthetic in the future that will have a very, very light and, uh, um, you know, portable powering system that's, that's just small, so small that you don't notice it as a, as a wearer. Um, but, uh, but I understand the desire for that, uh, for, for the wearer for prosthetic, um, to not have any, any, any of those powering systems at all. So I think like our, our most recent development neutralization is kind of the first step to that. So maybe you saw the video of the hand manipulating the ball with the powering system, the briefcase. So half of that briefcase was our valve, our valve supply. And all of that has been miniaturized most recently. Um, and it's, and we're finalizing that, that process right now, but, but we, we've, we've done the design there and, and that part is miniaturized. So what's kind of left in the powering system is just this pump and motor apparatus connected to um, the veins that, that, that inject fluid into the muscles. Interesting. So I think uh, two questions and I'll let you go. The first one about, I, I just think about your robot, about maybe in soft robotics, maybe, uh, since we speak about soft robotics, what do you think, what kind of beliefs when we see, when you see the soft robotics in, 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 in real world, that's kind of beliefs that should be changed or challenged? Since I see the design or the way you have it in Kona, it's quite... It's quite, I think, interesting, and I thought like, why we don't do the same thing, uh, like you guys saw it here. But do you think there is any beliefs in robotics or the robotic community that should be changed or challenged from your perspective? Um, I'm very anti-beliefs. Uh, I don't. I think beliefs are are, are not. They're not. They don't mean too much. It's. It's. You either know or you don't know. And it's just. Uh. You. Uh. You want to. If you really, really, really want to make this biomimetic android, like you're just going to, uh, use invent your way out of out of problems and out of dead ends. And this is just how it's done. It's like you can't. Uh. If you. If you. If you get dogmatic in any way, you're already like, killing yourself and and preventing yourself from from getting to where you want. So it's it's. Uh. You want a biomimetic android? Like you have to be willing to like trade pieces like as often as needed until until you get to the right solution. And we had to do that so many times over before we got to where we are now. And um, it's probably like a couple more trades for us to make before we um, have the full Android next year. But we, we see the we see the path in front of us and um, there's we, we've cleared we've cleared most of the way. And I think uh, um, so, so to, to kind of like actually give you a direct answer is uh, I, I think like we will see, you'll you'll likely see more of our our design out there as soon as uh, we put out our first torso, our first Android, um, and people can kind of see like the delta in performance <laughs> of uh, of of having an actual two-handed um, uh, full Android able to do both like strong tasks and dexterous tasks, and you know walk around like you know super with the, with the you know without needing to recharge you know often. I think this will blow minds, and it it is likely that. We will end up seeing more of more of more designs like ours. Yeah. By the way, how, how much time does it take to charge? That is, there, can you share about the timing also, the time operation and the charging? 
the time. Yeah, so um, uh, it, it, it's just going to depend on, obviously, what the robot's doing. If you're doing backflips, you know, continuously, so they're very different from, um, you know, just doing, cutting some vegetables, which requires very little energy. Um, it's going to be very dependent, but uh, if we're talking about, say, um, an Android on an assembly line, you know, working, um, you know, double, double, double ships, um, uh, it's, it should be able to do this um, with, with um, the kind of the power bonuses we plan to add to the Android that aren't that aren't in it right now. We, I, we're we're shooting for like you know sixteen hours at least continuous um, of continuous operation without recharge. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so maybe that's a question for you because I know you have to go. Um, wh what are the things that you still aspire to have in in Kulun? I mean, something very crazy. When you think about the the future of the prosthetics here or the artificial muscles, what kind of crazy ideas do you still want to have? Yeah, that's that's always a fun question. I think um, um, this is we are very much like the Android company. I think this is going to take us a very long way as a company. We don't have to make any other products other than the Android for a very long time, and we should have like massive growth as a result of just the Android. But uh, of course, with the musculoskeletal type technology, you can, if you have any rigid skeleton, any 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 skeleton based on anything, uh, any you know biological creature, you should be able to put muscles on it and, and actuate it and make it work, whether it's an animal or you know something else. Um, but uh, but I imagine maybe like really giant androids for construction would be really interesting to see. Uh, maybe the crane is kind of outdated, you know, as a as a as a um, kind of a human operated uh, automated tool uh, or human human operated tool for automation. Um, maybe maybe a giant android to replace a crane would be interesting to see. Interesting. So finally, do you have any advice for people listening? Just to share any advice or thoughts for people listening. Interesting. Um, yeah. Any advice or final thoughts? Yeah. Um, I'd say if you are interested in making very, very difficult um, systems, if you're if you're interested in building anything that's really, really hard, um, you it, it's it takes a level of seriousness and relentlessness that I think is so rare, and I think. The, there's a difference between um, there's a ocean of difference between like I like um, it would be nice to have and I want that <laughs> and uh, and to really like realize like if you're in, if you're in one boat not the other and that it really takes like not being in the it would be nice to have boat uh, to, uh, to 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 solve really tough problems on on a day to day basis. Okay, interesting. I don't know if you have any final words before we close. Any final words? Any final words, so let's see. Yeah, I mean, I I, I hope uh, um, I hope everyone enjoys their their new life with their androids in a, in a few years.